welcome to the Average Saint podcast, where we seek to help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is July 20th, 2023, Season 2, Episode 6. The average saint acknowledges the supernatural. Not only does it dot the pages of the Bible, but the very core of our faith rests on a supernatural event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Moreover, we acknowledge that we live a supernatural life, one that begins with a spiritual birth and the power of God's Spirit. And we are not merely physical beings, but spiritual, with God himself indwelling his people. It's hard to be a materialist while holding that conviction. Yet when it comes to supernatural manifestations of God's Spirit, there is both confusion and controversy among faithful saints. The spectacular gifts we see in the New Testament church, such as prophecy, tongues, and healings, are a far cry from the peculiar and often silly manifestations seen today in some churches. In the charismatic movement today, you will find holy barking, holy laughter, a cacophony of babbling, gold dust, and even some convulsing. These are very concerning, embarrassing, and absurd when contrasted with what we find in the New Testament. In contrast, what we see in the New Testament is verifiable and specific prophecies, actual languages being spoken that are unknown to the speaker and which can be interpreted. The New Testament describes dramatic, instant, and complete healings in the name of Jesus, not gold teeth. What we see today, in contrast, presents as a form of mania, a charismania, not legitimate gifts or charismata from God. Nonetheless, the charismatic movement has grown tremendously and continues to grow within churches today. In 2010, they represented just over 25% of global Christianity. And today, the annual growth rate of the Pentecostal charismatic movement is forecasted to be twice that of all other Christian groups. While the Spirit of God is to be honored and worshipped, and His gifts are to be earnestly desired, according to 1 Corinthians 14.1, the average saint needs to be informed and discerning. After all, we are called not to despise prophecies, while at the same time, we are to test everything. We're not to believe every spirit, since not all are from God. And so how do we deal with the charismania that seems to be growing and growing and growing? Well, joining me today is a dear brother in Christ, Bernard. He's serving here at Fellowship in our worship ministries and helping to facilitate one of our life groups. And I'm going to pause there. So you received your theological training at where? At this wacky charismatic church. He received his theological training at a wacky charismatic church and has a unique insight into this issue. Glad to have you here today, brother. Yeah, it's exciting. So I know your story because I've had the privilege of hearing it, but let's help our listeners. Tell us about this experience. What's your background? You came from this. You went to a wacky school. Give us the lowdown. Okay. Well, I'll go back a little bit to before I even landed up into it, kind of, you know, what the genesis was. So I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa, which is the predominant denomination under the white population in, in, in South Africa. Gotcha. While relatively theological, at the same time, it had a little bit of a flavor of sort of a dead orthodoxy mm. to it, you know, very rigid. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as a Dutch Reformed Church, they believe in the baptism of babies, you know, pedo-baptism. Right, 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 right. As I went to university, I was studying, you know, the word when I was on my own. And 
the irony is I used a study Bible published by the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa to use the concordance in that to look up every verse in the New Testament that deals with baptism. Gotcha. And came to the conclusion that I needed to be baptized as a believer, <laughs> not as a baby. And so I went looking for a church that practices believer's baptism. Wow. And I landed up in a wacky, charismatic <laughs> church. So, okay, so it wasn't a Baptist church, but they believed in no, believers' baptism. No, it was, you know, word of faith, new reformation. Oh, wow. Completely engrossed in all of that. Okay. And as somebody who had a, a zeal and a desire for the word, immediately I was like, okay, I got to go study more. And so I joined their seminary, let's uh -huh. call it that way, and um, and started to study all this theology and got completely involved, became one of the guitar teachers at their drama and music school. Oh, man. And got completely engrossed in that. Ultimately got to the point where I'm quote unquote selected to be one of the prophets that they'll be training up because that's what you really want to be like you can't be an apostle yet for that you have to uh. have this wide you know very successful ministry and then you qualify to be an apostle wow but one step below that is to be a prophet so that you can prophesy over people and you know so went into that whole prophecy training process what people today will think of as you know bethel and yes, yes, yes. Um, had all these wild experiences and was part of exorcisms and right. dealt with kids who came out of the occult. You know, I had friends who would get drunk in the spirit on the stage while they were playing guitar. And one of my friends would laugh like a horse every time she got quote unquote under the spirit. And so all of that, you oh, sort man. of Better completely watch way out wacky stuff. Yeah. All of that I had experienced. I had been inside of the theology of it. You know, I can read some quotes out of my personal journal of that time that shows just how much I was engrossed into that whole thinking process. And so how many years were you in that? Um, it was just under three years, actually. Okay, um, well, that's still a considerable I, amount of time. Yeah, I ended up getting expelled because I wouldn't do what one of the leaders told me, God told him to tell me to do. Uh, it was a, it was an amazing experience, actually. I'm, I'm sitting across from the two of the leaders and they're telling me like, look, you know, we're telling you, you need to do this. And I'm like, well, God didn't tell me that I need to do this. And all of this was about listening to secular music. Oh. And so like, well, God told us to tell you that you shouldn't be listening to secular music. And I'm okay. like, look, the only time in, in God's providence, how he worked with these people that he did that was in the time of Moses, when God invited the whole nation to come to him. And they're like, no, 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 Moses, we're too afraid. You go and represent us. Yeah. And God honored that sort of cop-out from the nation of Israel. Right, 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 right. And so I said to them, look, you're not Moses and I'm not Israel. There you go. And I remember they went from red to white as a sheet with fury. And it was about two weeks later I got expelled. Wow. Wow. So, so thank God I got expelled. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so you were there for three years. They wanted to make you a prophet. They acted as the mouthpiece of God authoritatively and not founded on, on any scriptural principle yeah. or command in scripture, but based on, I guess, their own sense and commanded you, no Garth Brooks, no Johnny Cat. Yeah. And so off you go, you get expelled. And so now after that, were, were there any ties to that movement or just you just come out of it right away? Like what happened afterwards? Well, I... 
um, <clears throat> retreated into my own shell for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and by God's providence, one of my uncles was a minister, still in the Dutch Reformed Church, but mm -hmm. in a relatively healthy version of that. Gotcha. He started drawing me back into the church, got me involved with youth ministry and playing the guitar and, you know, just getting back into all of that. Praise um, And so fairly quickly, I went back into a more orthodox mm -hmm. um, religion, yet my journal from that time still reflects some of that sort of wacky thoughts that I had, some of the stuff that had permeated my thinking. And mm -hmm. when I got engaged and ultimately got married, for a number of years, myself and, and uh, my then wife, we would be moving between various charismatic influenced churches ah, from the um, fringes where they were reasonably orthodox okay. to less orthodox, but never quite as bad as I had gone through my theological <laughs> training because <laughs> my spidey sense was obviously tingling when, when any of that happened. No kidding. Um, so it was always sort of flowing around. Um, and a function of that is the fact that the Dutch Reformed Church is so significant in South Africa. Mm. And I do not believe in the baptism of babies. I believe in yeah. the baptism of believers. Amen. And so I needed to find a church that practices that. Gotcha. And at the time, they weren't good reformed Baptist churches mm. in South Africa. So we may need to plant a church in South Africa, that's what you're saying. <laughs> Thankfully today, there's there's been some good development uh, good. You know, through ministries like you know, John MacArthur's ministry oh, good. Um, yeah. that has trained a number of men from South Africa who have gone back and they've started really good Bible-believing churches oh, that wonderful. actually believes in the <laughs> baptism of believers as well. Wonderful. Praise God. So you came out of that. How long... And now, I mean, this is how many years later? Like 20 years later? Uh, yeah, 20, almost 25, yeah. So how would you describe your convictions now? Because you went from like, okay, like you're going to be a prophet to where are you at now? Obviously, believer's baptism is still consistent there. As we come into the talk of the charismania, we're, we're going to define that in a minute. But where are you at right now with that? Spidey sense is up, clearly. Mm -hmm. but help us understand your baseline convictions in this area. The the overarching conviction for me is I would describe myself as a cessationist. Mm -hmm. And so for those who don't know what the term cessationist versus continuationist means, is a cessationist believes that the showy miracle type gifts in the New Testament era has ceased. Gotcha. Others believe that they've continued. My contention would be that even those who are continuationist are really practical cessationists because they have to recognize that what we see today as prophecy and healings, you know, speaking in tongues, is manifestly not biblical. Even though they might have a belief that it could continue, the practical implication is that we don't see that gotcha. today. So either way, the fact of the matter is I'm fairly convinced that um, what we see in that whole movement is right. as far from biblical and godly as you possibly can get. Um, well, I, I would half agree with you. I, number one, I, I mean, obviously, a continuationist, yep. <laughs> a very hopeful one. But I agree. I think what we're seeing, as we said in the introduction, is just an absolute circus and a, a form of mania that's terribly destructive. 
We'll get into it later, but one of the things that you had actually uh, shared with me was the, uh, the video on Kundalini. On the Kundalini. Yeah. Kundalini practice, which, you know, Eastern mysticism, and it looks like a Pentecostal gathering. Yeah. You've if, got, if somebody didn't tell you that that was nope. a, a Hindu worship meeting, you would think that it's a modern day Pentecostal meeting. Yeah. Unbelievable. So we'll, we'll tease that out later, but I, I'm with you on the dangers. This is terrible. So this is a good background now that our listeners understand a little bit about your experience. So you, you know, you have walked the walk, so you can talk the talk. So how would you define the charismatic movement? I know a lot of people will say, well, Pentecostalism is the charismatic movement, but there's, there's a nuance there. How do we define the charismania we're talking about here? What's the overarching feature? Well, you know, definitely for me, one of the first things that you see in any church that has any sort of charismatic leanings mm -hmm. is the idea that uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is subsequent to conversion, it's not um, something that happens together. It's it it's happens. A second thing. It's a second thing. It can actually be multiple times that you're mm -hmm. baptized with the Holy Spirit, but the first one is the one that you're you know trying to achieve, um, and it's always manifested through speaking in tongues. Uh -huh. And that speaking in tongues is not, as you said in the introduction, intelligent known languages that can be interpreted by somebody else. Mm -hmm. It is the babbling of whoever's imagining it up. And it's a taught behavior. Right. Um, if, if nothing else, all the sort of the, the excesses to the more orthodox, there's a whole spectrum, but virtually every single one of them says that baptism of the Holy Spirit follows conversion. Right. And it's evidenced by speaking in tongues. And that speaking in tongues is just an unintelligible babble. Gotcha. It seems like a strange way to have to work up to something that's supposed to be given. Like usually when you're given a gift, it requires not working for that gift. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it, it goes directly against what Paul teaches about uh, the you know charismatic gifts. It is a gift from the yeah, Spirit, yeah. and it is a free gift. Yes. There's nothing you do with it. Yes. So if um, my dad gives me a car, he, he doesn't give it to me in pieces and say, build the thing, and yeah. then you can drive it. <laughs> That's the Ikea version of a car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have in the charismatic movement an emphasis on a second baptism, a baptism of the Spirit of God. And then an emphasis on the uh, supernatural gifts, uh, the very spectacular gifts that he bestows, namely tongue speaking. Is there anything else we want to add to that definition? I just, I want to make sure we're clear on this because we want them to know what we're, we're aiming at. Like, what are we looking for here? And so I think those are two great starting points. Yeah. And I think that's a good framework. The other main thing that is probably for me the most troubling element of it, uh, which brings it the closest to virtually every other false religion in the world, mm -hmm. is the fact that there is an extraordinary focus on extra biblical revelation. Mm. So hence the, the idea of the prophets and the fact that you can get personal prophecies and gotcha. um, dreams and visions that can be all kinds of weird fantastical stuff you right. know all these visits to heaven that completely contradict each other so those are all different manifestations of the idea that there is a strong belief mm -hmm. in the fact that there is extra biblical revelation gotcha 
So an extra biblical revelation and an emphasis, or can we say an overemphasis on that, where now it becomes at the weight of scripture. So going back to your example, where you've got leaders in the wacky church saying, you must do this. And they're giving you a command now Mm -hmm. based on some personal revelation. It's not, hey, Bernard, you know, uh, meditate on that, which is true, right, meaning, you know, uh, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. And listening to Metallica is not going to help you do that. Like, (laughs) it's an exhortation, right? (laughs) So, So that's different because now it's like, okay, well, at least we've rooted it here in Scripture. We've got a biblical principle. Clearly, we know that music is powerful. It it moves the emotions. It's a teaching device. It's one of the reasons why God gave it to the church. It's a good gift, but it can be used nefariously. And so then we have, maybe that becomes an exhortation, like Brother Bernard, you know, and I don't know if you listen to Metallica, but... Seldom. Yeah. But I did when I was in my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) So it'd be like, hey, listen, like, you know, like, this may not be helpful for your soul, that's different. But when it comes to this special revelation, as you're saying, it becomes not only the focus and the emphasis, but the weight now. Yeah. And now this becomes the determining weight. We're no longer looking to scripture as the authority. We are looking to something else other than. Yeah, and it's it's something that that they they actively desire because there's this teaching that they will emphasize, and I've got a book here where there's a quote of it. It's called Prophets and Personal Prophecy, and they actually talk about the difference between logos and rhema, um, two different words that are translated as word in the Greek, and the one generally tends to lean towards some form of written Mm. word, although that's not exclusively its interpretation, and um, rhema more towards a a spoken, so people are speaking and they're saying words, and that, you know, one of the translations of that, you know, or one of the words that's translated word there would be rhema. And so they're actually teaching that logos, just reading the word, Mm. leads to a dead spirituality. Wow. You have to get a rhema where the spirit comes and activates that word in your life. Mm. And now it becomes, quote unquote, the word of God for you. And so they're actively desiring to get some sort of rhema Mm. either for themselves or from somebody else. So a special revelation. Yeah. So somebody has to come and like give you this word. It's interesting that it's it's not quite right. I mean, we would be the first people to say that the word of God is applied by the Spirit of God to us. So yes, there is a I don't know not a rhema, but there is a supernatural For um, sure. application where the Spirit of God is working through his word read and sung and prayed and taught and preached and memorized. He he does this. This is yeah. this is our daily bread. They take that and expand it into another sphere that is not not there, at least from the framework of scripture. Yeah. Which is this other thing now. Which is why they'll have, you know, very allegorical applications of the scripture. They'll they'll use the names of God, um, which describes his character, but mm-hmm. they'll use them almost like incantation. And they'll take the Old Testament and they will do the weirdest eisegesis with it, just 
bending it into the strangest possible ways right. to make it somehow be applicable and say something specifically for right. you. They'll take verses and where it refers to, let's say, the church in Ephesus, and they'll they'll actually rewrite that verse with your name. <laughs> Every time where Paul refers to somebody, they'll write your name so that that verse is now specifically applied to you. Yeah. Um, all kinds of just really weird stuff because they desire this sort of revelation over and above the word. Gotcha. Not, not giving the word its really high standing that it deserves, where it's infallible, it's God-inspired. I mean... Yeah, you know, if you just talk about the word and really start thinking about what men went through through all of history, writing it down, preaching it, and ultimately translating it for us to have that today, mm -hmm. if that doesn't drive you to tears, right? I, I, you know, to to know that God gave it to right. us, that is amazing. Amen. But to have this sort of weird nebulous thing on top of it is just demeaning. Amen. Amen. Uh, what it is? Well, it's almost childish. Yeah. It's, it's, you have thousands of years of providential preservation of God's word written by so many different people in so many different places. And then we have, you're just going to play fast and loose with it. Yeah. <laughs> and scratch out a few words and put, put a few other words in there. So we have then in terms of a, a defining, a definition of the movement, we, we have the emphasis on a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. evidenced by the gifts that he bestows, which primarily the uh, the speaking in tongues aspect that you said. Yep. Along with that, there is another uh, element where we have this scripture plus mentality where you need a special word from God in order for that truth to be activated. Yeah. Not just simply scripture is sufficient. So there's a denial of you know scripture alone. And then I think too that one of the things I've noticed is is and I notice it all the time is a emphasis on emotion. Yeah. I, I won't say where, but I was recently at a uh, at a place where uh, the worship that was being sung was was very vacuous. There was nothing theologically sound yeah. in there. I could have put anybody's boyfriend or girlfriend into that song. Yeah, and there was a drumming up of an emotional response, but I turned to my wife and I said, you know, the drive and the move here with the music and the energy of the worship leaders to get me to feel something, I can feel it. Like, this is strong, but I don't know what I'm responding to here. Yeah, You haven't given me anything to sink my teeth into, but some sort of nebulous emotion about, you know, love and acceptance and life. So that right away, I, I look at that now, and I, and I think that's an element of this movement for sure. Oh, yeah. Contrary to popular belief, we're not emotionless beings. Jesus was a man fully alive and full of the spirit. And I'm fairly certain he was in touch with his emotions. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> all of them. Paul, Peter, all of them. <laughs> right. You see emotion is right there. Right. In a sanctified way. Yeah. The emotion is the response to the truth. And that truth is foundationally yeah. inscripturated. Yeah. And so what I see here is a flip of that. I, I see the emotion driving, like it's the emotion is the engine. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's that, you know, Kundalini video, that kind yeah. of stuff. Like you see videos of other religions, you know, various kinds of pagan worship 
they do exactly the same thing. Interesting. Because music is very, very powerful and getting people into this sort of quote-unquote trance-like state. It's not that you're necessarily in a trance, but that mm. sort of idea, that sort of mentality. You see that in every tribe and race all across the world. That is a common thing. And, yeah. You know, so you definitely see that for sure. It's interesting. I was sitting there with my kids the other day. They're all learning how to play the piano. And so they play certain songs. And I asked them, I said, you know, without looking at the words of this song, what is the emotion the notes are conveying? Even at young ages, like age seven and nine, they can pick up on the emotion of the tone of the song. That's so, that's with, so true. Without reading the words. Yeah. They're I'll, like, I'll, I'll give you like, like an old, uh, like a personal anecdote. Yeah. When uh, when I was um, learning to play the piano as a really young boy in, in our theory class, the teacher played us music that we hadn't heard before and we needed to write down what it was. But the assumption was that we had written and mm -hmm. heard that before. But I hadn't. Um, and so she played the funeral march or the death march. Right. Da, 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 da. I didn't know what it was. So I write down, the woman left her husband. Yeah, it sounds because bad. It, because it just, it felt sad. Right. So, so as a kid, you can you feel it. It's, it is emotive. Right. Which is not bad. It just needs to be married with truth. Yeah. And you can't leave the emotion yeah. just hanging up I want to add one other thing that you see almost universally mm -hmm. in churches that are within the charismatic movement is you will see women as pastors ah. in some sort of pastoral prophet apostle any of that sort of leadership type roles so you no first women. timothy 2 going on there nope okay so we've got a picture now so the picture that we've got here is emphasis on spirit baptism tongues as the evidence of that and then we have an emphasis on a second experience or a rhema word from God, not just simply scripture. And yeah. then we have, again, a emphasis on emotion. So I think this is giving us a good picture of what we are referring to when we're saying this is this charismatic movement. Yeah. And as you said in the introduction, people think the charismatic movement is just sort of on the fringes, but 25% of all who identify as Christians right. in the world, right. um, of which about half are charismatic Catholics. Okay, so, I mean, I'm sure our listeners are already picking up on this, but, I mean, why should the average saint then be concerned with the charismatic movement? What's what's the one big red flag here? Like, what's the foundational no-no that we're trying to discern and steer away from? For me, definitely, you know, the fact that there's something being added on top of right. the Word of God. That's right. That is the... Um, theological basis for a concern with the movement. Mm -hmm. Various things that they do can be attacked and approached in different ways, and some of it could be secondary and tertiary issues. And, right. You know, they're not primary foundational um, salvation issues. Right. But when you start messing with the word, right, you're now you're dealing in foundational issues. Amen. Yeah, well, bad doctrine always leads to bad living. And so I, I think that's that's a good way to put it. We don't want to add or subtract from God's word. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm understanding you correctly, one of the major concerns here is, is that, well, the concern for the charismatic movement is that it's adding to, and in some cases, subtracting as well. Yeah. I think it's important that we say that, you know, clearly not, we, we don't want to demonize people within the movement because you came out of it. And there are other brothers and sisters in the movement right now that, you know, may be lacking understanding, maturity, whatever yep. it is. And it's really interesting that in your story, 
one of the ways of getting out of it wasn't just simply the providential actions that God worked into your story, but also coming down to you know some key convictions by reading and, and studying scripture, yeah, you know, on your own. And then the orthodoxy of was it your uncle? Yeah, yeah. So lots of things that God was working. Um, I'll, I'll add one more thing to that whole sort of background is that that whole church that I was in was actually like doomed from the beginning <laughs> because the person that they appointed to run the theological school, even though he came into this movement as well out of the Dutch Reformed Church, right. he still taught us how to actually do exegesis and how to look at context and he taught us Greek and Hebrew. Mm. And so you actually had two conflicting powers in this church, you know, one that's just this weird stuff, and then one that's trying to drag us back to the word the whole time. Ah, um, interesting. And so um, huh. it was it was the weirdest dynamic there. And ultimately, you know, he ended up leaving as well. And God protected me and hopefully others mm. who were there um, at that time as well. Praise um, Lord. But it just, again, it, it highlighted for me the importance of putting God's word That's right. on as high a pedestal as you possibly can. That's right. Because the word says it will not return empty. Amen. It will achieve what God says it will achieve. Amen. If you submit to it. Amen. Well, and I, I think every heresy in the history of the church can trace its roots back to a disillusion of the weight of the word of God and its authority, right? Yeah. People, again, adding and subtracting to what God has already revealed for us. There's a lot of teachers in this movement, and some of them come with controversy. <laughs> and let's be frank, I mean, some of them have just been labeled flat-out false teachers. Yeah, and, and deservedly so. Right. So let's let's just talk about that right now, because there's there's some massive ministries at play here, big names. I mean, these guys fill stadiums, they fill yeah. fields. People might accuse, you know, us, a little 300-member church here, or sorry, 300-member uh, congregation, and say, oh, these guys are just, just a bunch of envious, you know. And they'll say, look at the size of their ministry. Yeah, look at the clearly, size of their ministry. Clearly, God's not working there. That's right. My 10,000-member church, that's where God is really working. Right. So, let's talk a little bit about this. What about the teachers within these movements that we should be concerned about? I mean, that could be a multiple series podcast just on some of these. Uh, well, I'll talk about one. Can I talk about one? Because <laughs> yeah, I was really, I, I was telling Tim before we started this, I couldn't believe this. It just came out across church leaders this morning. So, Greg Locke, from what I understand, I mean, I don't know the man personally, and yeah. I don't know his church or his ministry, but I, from what I understand, it was within the well, uh, the realms of orthodoxy anyway. But he just issued a public apology to Benny Hinn. What I'm saying? I'm waiting for the public apology, okay? But because apparently he said some mean things about Benny Hinn, and oh, actually man. even wrote a book, uh, you know, against Benny Hinn. And and I'm like, but Benny Hinn, dude, like Benny Hinn is the biggest crook in the world. Yeah. Like he is an apostle of Catherine Coleman. She was she was the one before him that was the charlatan who, you know, just took money from right. widows and you know right. poor people and sick people and you know with this fake yielding ministry right. and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to the nth degree. Right. So let's <laughs> let's let's touch on this for a little while. Let's, <laughs> oh my goodness. Because I mean he's he's an easy he's he's well known. He's still influential today. Yep. And every now and again, like every maybe every ten years or so, he'll issue a public apology where he'll quote unquote repent of some of the things that he's yeah. said. And it's it's really just he's 
adding some more bait on the hook mm. um, because within weeks, some you know, sometimes he's right back teaching exactly the same things, but he just lulls a couple of people, drags them. Oh, you know, he's repented. Okay, let's pull some mm. more people back in. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that started you know back in the '90s with his book um, "Good Morning Holy Spirit." Right. Um, and you know. Um, a couple of years later, he wrote a book that was sort of an update to it where, you know, he apologized for some of the stuff that he said. <laughs> but then he kept on doing the same things. It's just like, <laughs> okay, I'm so, I'm so sorry that I'm hitting you with a hammer, but I'm going to continue hitting you with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm sorry about it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn's a huge name. So anybody who would apologize for speaking against Benny Hinn, I'm sorry, but they're um, mistaken. Right. Um, well, to be fair, I don't understand what he, I, I, I didn't look deeply into it, but I just, I, 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 I skimmed over the article yeah. and, and I'm like right away, but unless Hin has repented of much of his ministry, right? Like Costi Hin, uh, you know about Costi Hin. Yeah. Right. Like, Costi's I mean, a wonderful guy. Yeah. And Costi Hin, I mean, has exposed him. Oh yeah. In a major way. And so it's like, look at like, Members of your own household. And again, he, in the way, I mean, Costi's been very respectful about it. Uh, but the reality is, is that it's like, like uh, your uncle, you I, are. I, I literally have goosebumps all over my leg just thinking that God reached into the oh. Hin lineage yes. and picked one out and said, you know what, yeah. you're mine. And there's the sovereign grace and power of God. Um, Praise the Lord. So yeah, so we've got some some old big names. Kenneth Hagen is a huge name. Mm -hmm. um, much of the charismatic movement would refer to him as Papa Hagen. <laughs> this is spelled H-A-G-I-N <laughs> for our listeners, not H-A-G-E-N. Um, Just want to clarify that. All right, keep going. So he was a he was a um, huge guy in the um, that established the whole word of faith kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so you've got him, then the guy with the most. Um, apt last name for the health, wealth, prosperity movement is Creflo Dollar. You know, with a last name like Dollar, you can imagine that all he wants is dollars. Is that his real name? Is it, or is that a stage name? I don't know if it's a stage. I've, I tried to look at it. I can't find anything specifically, <laughs> but <laughs> certainly it's apt. Um, I mean, you've got Joyce Myers, probably one of the most well-known female leaders within the ministry in today's world, you know, with all her teachings and, Good. and she's definitely roped in people like, um, Beth Moore, mm -hmm. um, they've done conferences and stuff together. So it just shows how it permeates, right? It just goes out and right. Kenneth Copeland is huge with Kenneth Copeland. I agree with Justin Peters that he is probably the only one that I can with fairly strong certainty say He's demon-possessed. Mm. If you've seen the way that he talks and the, his eyes and the way that he can just fluctuate between, you know, spouting some stuff and then all of a sudden he's got this weird, creepy <laughs> smile on his face. Ben Heen, we've said, Joel Osteen, you know, he's the everybody's happy, everybody's wonderful, everybody's going to heaven, you know, <laughs> Mitt Romney, even though, you know, he's uh, – He's a Mormon, like, no, 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 Mitt Romney's great. You know, he's a wonderful Christian, according to Joel Osteen. Um, um, by know. the way, we are going to include some resources on the podcast so that people can actually look some of this stuff up 
themselves so they can get some more detail yeah, yeah. On, on these individuals. I know we're just skimming over it right now, but. Yeah, because there's no way we can go no. into into enough depth on everybody. T.D. Jakes, Todd White is the guy who has this, you know, the fake leg healings. Um, right. He's known for going into public and then taking people and saying, oh, you know, you know you've got back pain because your legs aren't the same length. And so you'll supposedly grow it right on video. And mm -hmm. But then, you know, the ones that's from a less sort of out there wacko type thing that people might not necessarily immediately think of um, would be the guys that are really strongly involved in the whole worship music ministry in the world and in the US um, nowadays. So it would be Stephen Furtick from mm -hmm. Elevation Church, got Brian Houston from Hillsong and mm -hmm. Bill Johnson from Bethel. All three of those have multiple reasons why you should avoid them. Brian Houston for um, over a decade um, subverted the law in uh, in Australia and protected his father from being exposed as a pedophile. Oh, wow. You know, so uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, he's a very quote-unquote charismatic guy, you know, right, in terms right. of how he speaks. It's, you know, he's a very good speaker, but, you know, you you see very little of the word in, in the stuff that he, uh, that he talks, and it's very showy and it's very flashy. And, you know, some of the stuff that he espouses i mean there's a message where he shouts i am god almighty and he's been challenged on it but he's never walked that back to say you know sorry i just got carried away in the moment and i said something i shouldn't have said yeah. he's never done that he actively associates with td jakes and so both of them are teachers of modalism mm -hmm. which says that we don't have a triune god we have mm -hmm. one god and he chooses to show himself in three different modes mm -hmm. that's an ancient false teaching that's been defended by faithful teachers right. for centuries right um, but it's still being taught today and so Stephen Furtick is uh, is into that as well mm -hmm. and I mean Bill Johnson with Bethel I mean Bethel there's so much that can be said you know they're they're school of supernatural ministries the right I mean you look at a video um, that one of the students took at one of the, that school um, events, and you play that side by side with the video that I shared with you on the Kundalini spirit, it looks like it's the same thing. Right. Well, anytime gold dust starts falling from the ceiling, <laughs> um, I, I get a little suspicious. Yeah. And angel feathers as well, too, because... Uh, I'm pretty sure the angels aren't losing any feathers, but no, uh, no, I that's all right. So. so let's just draw this back here for a minute. We've named a lot of names skimmed over a few folks who are generally identified within a charismatic stream. But what specifically are the earmarks for our audience to be reminded of? Like, what, what are we talking about? When we're talking about teachers that are essentially an error, what should we be looking for? Like, what are these marks here? I know that scripture obviously talks about it in First Peter, and sorry, Second Peter, I should say, and in Jude. What what are some takeaways for our people to be saying? Okay, well, like let's watch because I think there's there's two things we have to be careful with. Just saying that false teachers would arise within charismatic circles, I think, would be letting our guard down because I think false teachers can arise even in orthodox circles. Yes, amen. Um, so, and they have right. So it's just it's not just merely a charismatic problem, but we have a charismatic issue here where we've got a lot of emotion, we've got a lot of spectacular stuff going on, or at least semi-spectacular, yeah. and then we have 
false teaching added to it, as yeah. you've mentioned modalism already. Yeah. So what, what should people be looking for? I want to go back to sort yeah. of what the word specifically says about it. And the word is not silent about false teachers mm. at all. I haven't been able to substantiate it myself. Uh, Justin Peters has said, out of the 26 books in the New Testament, mm -hmm. only book that doesn't address false teachers in some way mm -hmm. is the book of Philemon. I haven't specifically addressed it that it's um, to that extent, but I have gone and checked. It's in all the gospels. Right. It's in almost every letter that um, that Paul wrote. Peter addresses it. Jude addresses it. James addresses it. Um, the, the word is not silent on, on false teachers. So mm -hmm. The, the the stuff that we mentioned, you know, we I mentioned modalism as just one false teaching, but um, the stuff that we mentioned um, around them is sort of the flashy stuff that helps draw a lot of people. Their music, mm -hmm. the gold dust falling, you know, um, seekers would be like, oh, that's going to be so cool. Go to a service where gold dust falls from the ceiling, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of. But that's the that's the outward things that we see. But if we if we were to go to the Word, mm -hmm. there's a number of scriptures, some major ones, Jeremiah 23, 14, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers mm -hmm. so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. So just in that one verse, there's multiple characteristics that lift that's lifted out mm. let's flip to the new testament second peter 2 verse 14 says they have eyes full of adultery insatiable for sin they entice unsteady souls they have hearts trained in greed mm. accursed children if you look at any of these these guys that represent what the charismatic movement is. You see all these characteristics. Right. So, I mean, you have claims of dreams and visions. They claim to prophesy. They claim to speak for God. Mm -hmm. um, they steal words from each other. That's an amazing thing in the Old Testament. It actually addresses that they plagiarize. Right. And you see that with these false teachers. Right, Jeremiah. Um, sexual immorality. Um, they live ungodly lives. They're liars, commit adultery, and the list just goes on and on. You really can independent of anybody who gives you instruction of this is a bad guy, this is a bad guy, you can actually go to the Word and look up the verses that specifically deals with false teachers right? and build a list of characteristics to be on the lookout for, and you'd be able to see these characteristics in every single one of these men and women that we've listed. Gotcha. So start um, with Jude and Second Peter. Yeah, those two are, and uh, that'd be in Jeremiah twenty three. I think would uh, would be some good starting points here. Yeah, very good. Well, you know, one thing just for our listeners' sake, you know, as a continuationist, I, I would I would be definitely open to dreams and visions. But I think the one thing that we look at, especially in in Jude, is they rely on them. Yeah, and and that goes back to that Rama side, where, as you mentioned, they're looking for something else. And I think, you know, for anybody who's listening to the podcast, I would want to encourage, you know, if you're having some sort of experience that is supernatural, then the lens of scripture is sufficient to interpret it. The Amen. lens of scripture can interpret that experience. And I think if we can understand any experience that we have um, and we and we make sure that the scriptures are in the place that they should be as the lens 
and the uh, authority, then I think we're we're in safe we're on safe uh, safe ground. But not somebody else's word about scripture, the scriptures themselves. And going back to as you said, these uh, evidence of false teachers, so not the evidence, the a- elements of the false teachers or aspects of false teachers, characteristics of yeah. false teachers. We should be looking for that. Yeah. Okay, good. So we've covered a bit of ground here, and we've talked about the definition of the charismatic movement. We've talked about some of the teachers within them. What are some of the concepts associated with the movement? You skimmed over a few. You talked about grave sucking or something. (laughs) Grave soaking. Oh, grave soaking. Sorry. Well, the grave sucks. (laughs) And Jesus destroyed it. So there you go. What, What else is out there? These various sub elements that you'll see, because we've we've sort of addressed some of the major issues. Which, like I said, the most concerning thing is the fact that there's uh, that it's the word plus mm. in in everything that they do. Um, but some of these sub elements, you've got the thing that was most prevalent in the '90s, but continues today, is the being slain in the spirit or being drunk in the spirit, mm. um, and that's where um, I shared the the YouTube video with you showing right. how the Hindu Kundalini um, yeah, looks service looks. It looks exactly the, it same. Looks the and, same. And and I've been in services like that, not just where other people experienced it, but where I had some weird, you know, body shaking movements for an hour and a half that I supposedly couldn't control. Was it psychosomatic? Was it something outside of myself? Who knows? The fact of the matter is just you you see this a lot and it's just this that's where you see this weird stuff, people barking in the spirit. And that all started with Rodney Howard Brown, the vineyard church in uh, Toronto. Right. Well, if I can, we need to just stop at, at Galatians 5, you know, as, as Paul is, is talking about staying, uh, walking by the spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with this verse, but verse 22, chapter 5, but the fruit of the spirit... That's what he produces. Yeah, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so, if any manifestation of the Spirit of God is overriding an individual self-control by scripture's definition it can be it's it's not the holy spirit then it can't be the spirit of god yeah now it might be psychosomatic might be something even worse exactly right so it's like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. like uh we're we're, we're talking and this is where i find this is one of the reasons why i'm a continuationist sorry plug for continuation yeah <laughs> because the devil is a continuationist he continues to do it and he's actually doing it in false religions all the time. Yeah. And I just don't want it. He doesn't get, he's not the only one who gets to play. God gets to play too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry, plug for continuation. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has to be a completely different podcast. So we've addressed modalism a little bit. Um, the little God's doctrine, you know, it's almost Mormon, the little God's doctrine is uh, that, you know, that Jesus and God, the father, you know, they're, they're the God, they're God, but we're so created in God's image right. that we are gods. Mm. 
Kenneth Copeland specifically says, like, look, you know, you look at this teaching and it's like dogs produce dogs, cats produce cats. God chooses to reproduce. What does God reproduce? (laughs) Gods. We're gods. Like, you know, that's where where this stuff comes from. The the grave sucking or or mantle grabbing, that's the, the idea where Elijah, he's cloak or his mantle had been passed on to Elisha mm. and they so warp that teaching that look it was just a physical piece of clothing right. that was an indication to the people around that right. the office of the prophet God had passing. now been moved right. from Elijah to Elisha That's right. but they take this to be some sort of spiritual thing and that you can actually get somebody's mantle so they'll go and lie down on the grave of spurgeon or you know what so that they can soak in the mantle of this you know the prince of preachers or whatever right which totally uh, ignores the fact that elijah gave or no he didn't give the cloak but he actually was training up his successor and the cloak falls and then uh, Elisha says, where's the God of Elijah? He's with you. Because you just smack the cloak down and sp- <laughs> split the Jordan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so that that whole idea is just whacked out. And that, and that um, has been popularized by um, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. That's what they'll do. The, the, the students will actually go to the graves of well-known Christian leaders throughout the ages and lie down on the graves of these people to, quote-unquote, soak in their mantle of their ministry. Wow. That's almost like stealing. (laughs) It's grave stealing. Spurgeon doesn't want you to have that. (laughs) And I think Spurgeon is sitting, you know, at the feet of God and just enjoying a wonderful time and... (laughs) You know, we've got um, sort of the focus on spiritual warfare. That's where they'll go onto like a, a high spot in the city and they'll do this warfare against the spirits that are controlling the city and they'll, mm. they'll, they'll cast out the, the demon of homosexuality and they'll cast out the demon of greed. And So clearly that's working today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't help it. So, I mean, you know, that's their version oh, of yeah, spiritual yeah. warfare, right? right. Um, nothing to do with how Ephesians addresses it or any other section of Scripture. They actively teach and believe that Christians can be possessed by demons, and so they'll actually have these prayer sessions where they'll try and um, remove certain demons or the influence of demons from Christians, right. not recognizing that once the Holy Spirit is inside of a person— a demon can't live in the same body as the Holy Spirit. He's so going to get beat the, up real bad. The, yeah. The <laughs> demons are gone. And so that flows into the idea of bloodline curses, you know, that, oh, you know, your great-grandfather, he once went to a fortune teller, and, you know, that has now added a grave, you know, this this curse, this bloodline curse of witchcraft into your bloodline, and you have to now do some sort of incantation type thing yeah. to break that bloodline curse. and Which is a denial of the gospel. Yes. If I may, I got to jump on this for a second, because he became a curse for us. Yeah. And the one who does the cursing is God himself. And so when somebody comes along, like Balaam, and tries to curse the people God does not curse. No. It doesn't end well. 
and I find one of like, I mean, all of these things, I mean, good heavens, we could unpack them for hours on end. Yeah. If you would just apply the gospel or take the gospel and hold it up to all of these things, the gospel's far superior. Like nobody has to do that. Nobody has to go back to what great grandpa did or didn't do. We don't no. know because Christ became a curse for it. It's done. The yeah. curse has been transferred to him. He was crushed underneath that weight. And so now we are the ones who are actually blessed eternal, all if, because of his. Even if you want to take it to a silly level and agree with someone who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bloodline curse in my family, but guess what? I was dead, right. and God raised me Amen. from the dead. And seated with me. With and Jesus. so now I'm a new creation, and so that bloodline curse doesn't exist anymore. Boo-hoo. That's right. I've been born again. Yes. Different bloodline. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you can a attack all of these individually. I mean, you know. So the idea of touch not God's anointed. So that's what you know. They're always saying, you know, you shouldn't say anything against the prophet. That's why so much of the wacky stuff that goes inside of the movement isn't addressed by those who are more orthodox right. within the movement. Right. Because they can't speak anything against anybody because then they're touching God's anointed. Ah, interesting. Never mind the fact that that is not what that scripture, when it talks about touch not God's anointed, mm. that is nothing to do with uh, any mm. of that. Um, so they build in a little bit of a muzzle. muzzle. Yeah, yeah. So that, there's two ways that they protect themselves is the thus saith the Lord. So, you know, if you're disagreeing with this, that means you're disagreeing with God and the touch not God's anointed. They've got this force field around them that, no, 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 you can't say anything against me. Positive confession, we might deal with that a little bit more in, in sort of the major theological stream that that's in, but that's the idea of name it, claim it, and frame it, mm. believe it and receive it. Right. Um, you know, you can, you can say and claim anything and then you get it. That's right. also why if somebody has predicted or given you some sort of healing, you can't say anything against it because now you're speaking into existence the fact that that sickness still exists. Well, see, and this is, again, I got to speak to this again, because this is a, a blatant contradiction of Scripture. Uh, I alluded to it in the in the introduction, but in Paul's letter to the Thessalon Thessalonians, thank you, what does he say in verse chapter 5, verse 19? Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Mm -hmm. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And so we're supposed to test what is from the Spirit of God, and not that's a command. Yeah. That's not a piece of advice. It's an apostolic command. Yeah. And so you've got a movement that is ignoring that clear command in Scripture. Yeah. And then on top of that, I, I mean, you have even, uh, well, we're going to get into it in 1 Corinthians, uh, where Paul talks about weighing what is said. You know, have two or three prophets speak at most, and the others weigh what is said. Yeah. We're supposed to be weighing what is said. And the Bereans are commended for testing everything against the word. That's right. They're like, oh, Paul is saying this and that. Let's go and check if it's in the if it's in the word. If it's not, then sorry, Paul, yeah. you're speaking wrong. That's right. 
that and he's like, you guys are awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> More Berean. Like, like that. You don't get uh, that in the charismatic movement. It's like, yes, great. You went and checked against the word if I was saying, if something that I was saying was true. Yeah, see, that's dangerous. Um, that's dangerous. Because then you open yourself up to all sorts of error. I mean, you can contrast that, or not contrast, you can compare that to the Roman Catholic Church, their teachings on, you know, all the expressions right. from the Pope, and it's like, yeah, that, that stands, and you can challenge that and speak right. against it, because right. it is from God. There you go. Right? Um, so it's it's the same sort of thing, right? You have the, the glossolalia stuff, so that's, glossolalia is the, is the theological term that's used for this unintelligible babblings that people right. give versus right. an actual language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you have that. I already mentioned the logos and the rhema kind of stuff, you know, the, oh, it's written in the word, but it's not really alive for you yet until you get this personal rhema mm -hmm. that makes it alive. Virtually every single one of these ministries um, have a very, very strong emphasis on praise and worship music, um, they almost all start their own ministries. Mm. The one that's unique is is one that was founded by a guy from New Zealand, but he then went to Australia to make it bigger. And he was not a musician; he was a um, painting and sculpting artist. So his church built a whole ministry around ah. that form of artistry. Ah. And so they were selling his paintings in the foyer. And, Interesting. Um, you know, so, but they, they all have this really strong connection to, to the artistic side of things. Sure. And, and it's, a, it's a big part of how they spread their influence and, and give right. a positive flavor to kind of get people right. used to them. And then you kind of get sucked in. You know, it's, it's a bit of a travesty, eh? just to speak to that for a second. I, I, I think, I mean, God is the ultimate artist. We see that in, you know, the rose that blooms. We see that in the sunset that we enjoy. We see that in his vast beauty and creation. And I think Christians should be good artists. Yeah. I think we should be actually the best. I think we should be the best singers, the best songwriters, the best musicians, the best sculptors, the best designers, because we serve the best sculptor, the best designer, the best artist. Yep. But I hear what you're saying. You can take that gift, not a spiritual gift, but the natural yes. proclivity, and you, you can take that, that, that natural gifting, and, and then it can be twisted for nefarious use. And I mean, it seems to me like this is one thing that our folks need to watch out for, is just because the aesthetics of something is incredible doesn't mean that it's natural, necessarily true. Yeah, The aesthetics might be spellbinding, whether it be the sculpture or the song, yeah, but it's not true, yeah, and and we've got to ask that question: Is it true, yeah, and good and right and worthy of praise? Yeah. I mean, God God cares about beauty; otherwise, we wouldn't have the world that we live in, right? He wouldn't give us taste buds that can enjoy food where yeah. we're not just eating it to have a full stomach, but yeah. actually enjoy what we're doing. A third of the word is either songs or poetry. Amen. Artistry is ultimately a good gift from God. Amen. But just like everything else, it can be distorted. And you gotta discern. But because of the profound influence that artistry has on the human yes. heart, our minds, it is one of the key places that's yes. used yes. to spread anything that's wrong. I mean, we, we see that even with the whole sort of Hollywood machine. I mean, well, look at look at how they've 
gotten most of the world today to believe that homosexuality and all forms of you know sexual immorality yes. is acceptable and should be praised. Yes. Except and, now the writing is so bad that people are starting to wake <laughs> up to the reality that this is just not even good entertainment anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, we're um, we're a little off the trail there, but I, I I just wanted to encourage our folks that we're we're not we don't want to communicate that beauty is not important and 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 excellence in music and in artistry is not important. That's not what we're saying at all. No. What we're saying is is be careful handle the power uh, correctly discerningly look through it if you will to what it's actually pointing to and, and that's why all our artists mm -hmm. that have a true faith should be saturated in the word amen so that what they do oh. is influenced by the word amen and then they bring the most beautiful things out in life that you can imagine amen well you know in case in point a pilgrim's progress oh yeah because i gotta tell you like i've been reading that to my kids and I'm like, this allegory is so profoundly saturated with truth that it has endured the test of time and still today is relevant. Like when I read that, I'm like, oh my goodness, this man had some incredible insight. And why? Because you have uh, a literary giant who is saturated in God's word. Yeah. Plus also locked in prison. So he had the time to think. Well, <laughs> he was in prison, but he wasn't locked. The door was left open. Oh, that's right. Well, so he sat there. Yeah. For... <laughs> that's how committed he was to the words. Like, hey, you know what? We're going to leave the door open. You yeah. can leave whenever you want, as long as you stop preaching what you're preaching. And he's like, okay, so I'll stay. <laughs> I got work to do. <laughs> so you could have easily said, you know, I, I need to be home and help my wife and kids. Not going to stop preaching. Nope. Well, man of um, principle. So one of the things around sort of the worship music as well is the teaching that part of the worship service is meant to usher in what they call the Shekinah glory of God. So that's where you'll see this gold dust kind of stuff. That's just, that's right. the excess of this whole idea. But, you know, it's like, we'll, we'll sing worship music until, and, and we get into this monotonous sort of mantra type style where we just repeat and repeat and repeat it, you know, to get an emotional reaction. But ultimately the point is to get to the point, what they call free worship, where everybody just starts singing whatever they want. They make their own words up. They start quote unquote singing in the, um, their prayer language. Um, and that's, you know, where the real glory of God has now fallen upon the service. And now we're really in the presence of God. Interesting. So once again, you know, we have a, a departure from a, a few, few principles. Number one, you know, scripture looks and understands that our worship is always in the presence of God. I mean, that's Hebrews. Yeah. Uh, we've not come uh, to you know, uh, an earthly. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We've come to a heavenly Jerusalem uh, with angels. Well, I should read it actually because it's so glorious. You know that idea of having to work up to get to God, mm -hmm. or get God to come down, is just completely antithetical to what we see in, in the New Testament. Yeah. So we have. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 18, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, tempest in the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. 
for they could not endure the order that was given, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Okay, that was before. Now, in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. By the way, this is also in the context of them gathering together. This is the idea here that he picked up a few chapters earlier. Uh, The innumerable innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so that's like a present reality right now. Spiritual for sure. Yeah. But a present reality right now, nobody's saying in the New Testament, you got to work up to get there. That just is. Now, your heart might be, you know, a cold slab because you've got other things on your mind and you might be feeling discouraged and all the rest of the stuff. But the idea that you can encant God is pagan. Exactly. That's yeah. that's Baal worship. It is. Keep Hey, man, keep calling. Maybe he's in the bathroom. We'll see what happens. And then what does Elijah do? Okay, Lord, you want to come now? Boom. <laughs> There's the fire, right? Yeah. Wow. I mean, mentioning you know Baal worship—it's that's one of the hair-raising things for me. Once I had left that, and and you read the word, and, and you read through those sections that deals with this kind of worship, you're like, this could have described the service that I was in. No kidding. That is scary. No kidding. Like this is this is this is it's a rejection again. Going back to the original point, it's a rejection of the authority of scripture. Yeah. Scripture sufficient or not? Yeah, and and just to tell people also, the stuff that we're mentioning is like all of this is ongoing in the charismatic movement today, and different churches will have it in different elements depending on whether they're on the fringe or you know in the main core. Right, right, the main right. core is more wacky than people think. People think the the fringe is the wacky stuff, but that's actually the core. The fringe is the more orthodox um, groups. Um, mm-hmm. But just so you know. Virtually everything that we've mentioned so far mm. are things that I'd experienced in my three years in the wacky church that I was in back in the mid nineties. Okay, that's helpful. It's not as if this is a is a new thing or anything. This is a thing that's been going on right. since the fifties and sixties in in real profound levels. Right, um, and. Every level of this stuff had been practiced in the church that it was in. It wasn't just one stream that we were involved in. We were involved in it all. Mm. And so this has, it's good that you mentioned that because it points out that this has some staying power in the sense that it's not going away anytime soon. It's growing and growing and growing. Yeah. So now then, okay, what do we leave our, our listeners with? I mean, what are some concluding thoughts? How does the average saint protect themselves against this error because obviously it's pervasive yeah and growing and while it's not fashionable to talk about anymore because i think it's becoming more and more accepted like so you you don't have you know i mean obviously there's uh i think the who's it the c4 guys or whoever they are g3 okay so it's the g3 guys who are very much ringing the bell on this and saying, hey, 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 this is a major issue. 
Now, I don't obviously agree with, you know, their cessationist stance, but they've got, like, I think they're ringing a good bell. Yeah. Like, hey, there's, guys, there's, like there's, there's, there's strong um, continuationist guys who are also ringing the bell, maybe not to the same extent, right. but I mean, two really, really strong, doctrinally sound guys mm-hmm. would be John Piper. Right. He's a, a continuationist, but right. he strongly talks against all of this, all of these excesses. Right. Paul Washer, who has a profound influence in uh, missionary organizations and so on. Right. Um, and I mean, if you haven't heard a fire and brimstone message, you got to listen to him preach. Yeah. Um, but he's a um, he's a continuationist, so right. it's not something that should make us uh, break bread. But it's yeah. a thing that for too long those who are um, strongly focused on the word yeah. haven't spoken up and spoken right. up loudly enough. Right, right. Fair enough. So what would be some effective strategies then to employ for the average saint as they're seeking to navigate this? So the very the very first thing that I would say is fervently read the word. Amen. Okay? Amen. Um, God says, like I said earlier, his word will not return to him empty. Mm-hmm. He says he will sanctify you through his word. Mm-hmm. So read the word. Mm-hmm. Read it every possible way you can. Read it just like a storybook. Read it to study it. Right. Read it, you know, to memorize. Read it to fall asleep, whatever. Right. Just read it. So right. that's the very first thing that I would say to anybody. Yeah. It's like read the word. Read the word. Um, you'll find that for, for anything, you know, whether you're involved in, in something like this or have people that's involved in it, if other stuff in your life happened and it draws your heart away from God, Amen. read the word and it'll pull you back. Amen. So that's the first thing. Okay. The second thing is learn to study the Bible. And so what I mean by that is learn that the Bible should be read, as R.C. Sproul says, literally. Mm. In the sense that is is literature. Yes. So when it's a poem, read it like a poem. Right. When it's a historical description of something that happened, mm. read it as that. Right. You know, when it's a doctrinal teaching that Paul gives us, right. read it like that. So learn to study the Bible um, literally so that you follow their various literary themes there's great resources that you can follow. Um, they can speak to any of the elders in the church to get some good ideas. There's through the ages. There's been a lot of books that's written about that and some really good ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some software that's really useful. I'm a big proponent of uh, eSword, right? Because it is free, right? And there's so many resources available right. that the average saint can do everything that they need to right. using eSort. They don't have to go and buy logos and buy, you know, thousands of dollars worth of resources. Right. There's a lot that you can do. Amen um, to that. And that's 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 how God uses technology. There you go. Um, there you go. You know. Thirdly, I'd say read some books that gives you a better understanding of certain things. So two really helpful resources that I would want to highlight. Yes. Um, is one is called Guidance and the Voice of God. Gotcha. Written by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne. It's a really good book. To, oh, Tony Payne, eh? Um, to get a sense yeah, of yeah. how to actually discern God's word. Good. You know, how to listen to um, him speak to you today. Gotcha. So that one is great. And then the other one is... Um, probably about 10 years back that this was um, published by um, Tim Challies. Ah. Um, and it's 
the discipline of spiritual discernment. Oh, I like it. Um, and it's amazing. It just gives you really practical tools on how to actually build that skill of being able to discern. So we should get these for our library. Um, and so the takeaway that you get from this book is like, how do you learn to discern falsehood by knowing the truth? Amen. Um, so he, he gives the analogy of um, how do bank tellers get taught mm -hmm. how to identify counterfeit money? Yeah. Is there taught how to identify non-counterfeit money. That's right. This is the and real thing. As soon as you then pick up counterfeit, it's like, oh, this doesn't feel right or does yeah. it look right? You immediately see it. Yeah. Um, so there are two really easy reads. They're not thick books at all, but they're phenomenal. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, so they're, they're really, really good resources. There's cool. lots of uh, good um, online resources, you know, that you can go to if you want to know more about the theological leanings and, and some of the stuff that goes on in these ministries. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely recommend uh, Justin Peters' ministry. Gotcha. Um, go to his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of really good resources on that. Mm -hmm. um, so his stuff is really good. I've got G3 uh, ministries on yes. as well that uh, cessationist but yes. they've got strong theologically sound reading that sure. uh, that you can do um desiring god right. um for the ladies with the master.org mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um a ministry of susan heck mm -hmm. um is amazing susan heck was a pastor's wife he was a pastor for 50 years mm. um he passed away i think two or three years ago mm. um but um she's made um, a big part of her ministry is actually memorizing the Bible. So she's memorized the entire New Testament. Wow. And I think it's three or four books in the Old Testament that she's now memorized as well. Praise so Lord. she's got really strong, really good biblical resources if if the ladies specifically want to get things. And she knows the truth. Yeah, yeah. We'll put these on the website so that our listeners uh, can access them easily. Okay, this is good. Any Any last words? Not literally last words, but... Any last words for our audience? If there was one thing you want them to remember about the podcast today. I would leave them with a quote from Conrad Mbewe. Mm -hmm. Conrad Mbewe is described as the Spurgeon of Africa, um, a phenomenal pastor, preacher in uh, Zambia. Okay. Um, he has a church not much larger than ours. This was also around the 300, but he's got a, uh, a seminary attached to the church now as well. And nice. really great guy. So he's got this quote where he says, where the word of God is closed, the gospel has been lost. Mm. Invariably, the life remains sinful and self-centered. Mm. And one of the results of that is the loss of true worship. Mm. You can't mm. miss it. So keep the Bible open, mm. keep reading the word, and find every possible way that you can to read it, build it into your life, listen to podcasts, listen to audio Bible, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. As long as you keep the Bible open and you're saturated with the truth, it's so much easier to be personally protected against falsehood, right. but also to help those who you love, um, who are involved with falsehood, mm -hmm. to show them the truth. Amen, brother. Bernard, it's been great having you on our podcast. We're so grateful for how God has led you out of this dangerous movement and brought you into the realms of orthodoxy and uh, into a Baptist church. So Certainly. glad to have you here today, brother. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. All right. For our listeners, if you've got any questions, feel free to email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com. And until next time, this is The Average Saint signing off.